Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sports Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It's uh, Friday, May 13th. That's right, Friday the 13th, 2022. This is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. And we've got a really special guest who's going to be joining us here in just a few moments on our show. Allen and I felt it was very appropriate for Friday the 13th to have none other than Chucky on our show. Um, We'll explain a little bit more here in a moment. If you've seen our Facebook posts throughout the day, You'll know who we're talking about, of course, um, not the doll, of course, but uh, Chucky Wright, and we'll explain who he is here in a moment. And just a, uh, I guess, a disclaimer here, um, what Chucky does isn't child's play, so be careful if you try this at home with what he does. Uh, of course, we can't have our show without both Alan and Aaron, and Alan is with me here tonight. Alan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Really glad to be here. Glad that we have a special guest tonight. And we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Absolutely. Now, we like to think outside the box. I know a lot of times we um, interview, um, you know, former uh, big league ball players, announcers. We've had uh, several guests on over the last uh, two years or so. This is uh, certainly something a little bit different. Um, Chucky Wright, to those who do not know, um, is a paramotor pilot, and he has, uh, I think, 61,000 followers on his um, I believe it's on his YouTube channel. He'll be able to tell us here in a moment. Um, These videos are absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm not a big fan of heights, but these things are just so much fun to watch. And without further ado um, here this evening, so that we can uh, have his perspective of everything here this evening, Chucky Wright joins us. Uh, Good evening. How are you? Great, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Excellent. Excellent. Doing great here this evening for sure. So I, I want to ask you some questions. As I've watched your videos for the last several months, I want to say it was probably the beginning of 2022 when I first stumbled across them and could not stop watching. Um, how did you get into this? This is something that's very interesting to, to watch, and I always wonder how someone gets into something uh, that is so interesting like that. So like anyone that kind of gets into anything uh, aviation-related, typically you have a, a thrill-seeking, adventure-seeking mindset. Um, the way that I kind of found the sport, though, per se, was on YouTube back in 2019 of this uh, gentleman named Tucker Gott, which I'm sure anyone that's watched anything aviation, he's the first gentleman that flew to McDonald on his paramotor, had like 50 million views, something like that, kind of broke YouTube for like, what was it, half half a year at that point in time in the aviation community. And then ever since that given point in time, I started to, uh, kind of do my own research and uh, self-teach myself based off YouTube videos for a year until I could save up enough to get the gear. And then in 2020, towards the end of the year, August, September time, I uh, had my first flight after about a year of training myself, reading up on all the information. And uh, ever since then, I've continued to push the boundaries and try to create new ideas and uh, new ways to kind of explore with the, the little device you throw on your back and the wings that's above your head. <laughs> And it is entertaining uh, to be, I mean, just, it's such a neat thing to watch. Um, you know, to any of our listeners out there, um, I mean, there's so many different videos. I'm not sure how many you've put up exactly, but I've seen 
um, you know, going uh, across the Sunshine Skyway Bridge there in St. Pete, uh, going underneath the bridge. Um, you did the thing, I think it was up in Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, where you went uh, over 17,000 feet um, up into, you know, where the planes fly, essentially. So um, how, how, how nervous are you when you're doing some of these things? Um, I've always been an adrenaline junkie, I guess. You could say I was a calculated risk taker. I mean, I've done all sports, snowboarding, skateboarding, freediving. So, you know, hold your breath, dive 100 foot deep on a single breath, all that kind of crazy stuff. So anything kind of just pushes the limits um, physically, mentally, and all that kind of stuff. And this one's kind of more the more – it's more tame, if anything. Um, It's actually kind of relaxing. Some people that are scared of heights, obviously it's a very, very scary, you know, looking thing. You're just in in a lawn chair sitting however many feet up you are at that given point in time. But um, it, it's it's more relaxing than it is anything else to be depending on the mission. But uh, sometimes you get up there and there can be some serious turbulence and things get a little sketchy, but you have to just, you know, stay calm. Your motor goes out, you stay calm. Like, it's all about just staying relaxed throughout the whole process. Yeah, it definitely does seem like you've had quite a bit of experiences up there. I did see one where the engine failed on you and you <laughs> seemed like you were more concerned about the engine than it was your safety. Are you that relaxed when you're going <laughs> when something bad happens? <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's, that's what's probably saved my life a lot of, in a lot of uh, aspects, whether it be, you know, motorcycles, whatever crazy piece of equipment that you're on, the more relaxed, like you, like as an athlete, you have this, this sort of mindset when something's going wrong and it's happening really fast, you kind of start to perceive things in slow motion, if that kind of makes sense. Um, everything around you're able to kind of look and analyze way faster than what time really feels like it's going. So like when my motor goes out or anything like that, feel as if everything has just kind of paused. I'm able to like take in what's going on and then react in the correct way without like emotionally thinking about it, more or less logically thinking what's the next step to take versus, you know, once you bring emotion into it, you get scared. That's how people, you know, die or get really, really badly injured. Yeah, that's a very yeah. good point there. Um, go, go ahead, Alan. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And that, that is a very good point as far as you don't want to panic and you seem definitely like a guy who's well-versed and well-experienced. How does your family feel about you going up there as often as you do oh, taking that risk? Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's a question I get asked a lot. Um well, I lived right across from an airport when I lived in Michigan, and my parents' house was right across the street from it. And uh, my dad still has never seen me in person fly. He won't watch me fly. He will watch my videos because he knows, obviously, I was able to post them, which means I'm still alive. Uh, my oh, mom yeah. and my sister have both come out and uh, watched me fly. My sister thinks it's pretty cool. I mean, she doesn't really care too much about it. My mom, she gets nervous. She's definitely, I mean, at first she was she was terrified that I was going to, you know, go up in this little thing she had no idea about. But the more and more I do it, the more, you know, comfortable she is with it. She's she's cool with it now. Yeah. The, the ones that really get to me is the ones that you kind of go up and touch down, up and touch down. I, I get nervous watching it. Like, man, when you go down, it's scarier because, as you know, it's down – if an engine failure or something happens, you get caught on something, it's it's much more scarier me watching when you're going up and down. Does that feel the same way for you? Um, when you mean when I'm going up and down, or you mean like when I'm coming closer to the ground versus yeah. like touchdown, like when you're doing the, the you did I think it touch was just goes. Hey, touchdown, like when you go yeah. Yeah, the touch and go. So yeah, you come down so no, that's that's 
it's very uh, – it can be scary to some people. There's The only reason you do touch and goes is to practice for when you actually are landing. The reason I was doing it the other day when I was down there, honestly, I was just bored mid-flight. So I'm like, all right, well, let's practice some skills kind of thing. And um, essentially all you do is you take off once and you land once in a normal flight. Well, if you do want to do touch and goes, just like an aircraft, you just come in and you practice your landings over and over and over without having to lay your wing down. No, nervous-wise, it's pretty chill. I mean, anything can go wrong in any one of the landings and then takeoffs, but that, that's how you progress and get better at something is by practicing it over and over so you become confident with your skills. Yeah, definitely. Very, very good point there. Um, the one I wanted to ask about, too, and I guess we could ask you about all of them, but uh, there was a, a video you shot, and this was early on, I think, in your in your posting of videos, and I believe you were in Michigan. You had flown, um, I want to say, to a friend's house. I want to say he was getting married or something. You were going yep. to, to pick out a, a, a suit or something to that effect, and you flew yep. back to where you had taken off from, and it got dark. Um, night was falling, of course, as you were flying back, and you turned on you know, strobe light. Uh, I got to ask you because I, I used to fly as uh, when I was a lot younger. Um, never finished, unfortunately, the flying lessons. I kind of gave up on it early, but it's hard enough to fly when there's light out there. Um, what was it like? You know, and I'm not sure what time of year this was, but what was it like flying back? Really, um, just looking for landmarks that are lit on the ground in that last uh, couple moments of that flight. So that was October, September time. Um, so it's very easy in that area for me, I guess. I, I've, I've memorized that entire layout in like a 50-mile like circular radius, I guess you can call it. Um, I've boated all those areas over the waterways. I know exactly what the airport looks like. I know exactly what the island looks like. Um, I, I, just, I just know point of reference. Um, I guess the hardest part was after I got to the location was basically landing because not being able to see the distance between your feet and the ground when it's so dark out, that's the only kind of thing that throws you off. So you might think as if you're touching down, but in reality you're still three or four foot away from the ground. So you start running and you're not even touching the ground yet. So that can kind of throw you <laughs> off if you don't have one foot in front of the other. But location-wise and, like, addressing the, like, the point, like your waypoint on the way back, it's it's just kind of point and shoot. Look for some sort of landmark light that's on that you're, you're familiar with and just kind of head towards there. I mean, you typically are supposed to map out most of your flights before you take them. And um, it's, as long as you have a decently good memory and you're able to focus on what you're doing, it's pretty e- remotely easy to make it back to your takeoff zone. Yeah. And, and one of the, go, ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of the things that I notice about is that the propeller itself is not covered. Is that by design or is that your specific model? Is it never covered? By covered, you mean nothing over top of the prop? Yeah, because um, the person you had actually bought it from, you mentioned in, in the video that they lost a little bit of their finger because, and I, I could see how that accident can happen. Does that ever get nervous to you? And does, does the design of it always is without a cover? The design of it is always without a cover. So the only time that the cover is on there is for when you're transporting it. Some people don't even put it on there for them. So there's a little piece of sheath or cloth, I guess you could say, kind of like a knife goes inside of a sheath. Um, it's just cloth that covers the prop. You take it off for flight time. And the reason, on the, through the backstory on how that, that gentleman uh, kind of got portion of his pinky chopped off and his second finger to it, um, he was ground starting it, which is something you never do with a paramotor because at any given point in time, if you're ground starting something, you never know if the throttle is completely open or the throttle cable got stuck. 
and he had his hand holding it, and that's a lot of thrust. That's 25 horsepower and whatever, how many, you know, newton meters of thrust that it can produce. It'll definitely – you can't really stop it. Even me, with the, the, the relative strength that I have, it's, it's very, very, very hard and difficult. His hand was there and holding it while it was at full throttle when he went to go start it, and his hand slipped right through, and his wife was supposed to kill the motor, and she didn't kill the motor in time, and that's how, how that little incident happened. And he's like, yep, I'm done with paramotoring, and then I bought his gear. Wow. Wow. So you have to be yeah. very careful. The number one thing is never ground start an engine. If you and if you ever have to, make sure the throttle's in your hand and you at least check the um the throttle cable going to the engine to make sure that the uh the carburetor flap is closed at least. So there's no you know, it doesn't it's not at any sort of above idle kind of power. Yeah, yeah definitely uh good good lesson to learn there for sure. Um and having somebody else haven't made the mistake there, uh obviously you know what to do uh, or what not to do, I guess, in this case. So i got to ask you about the 17,000-plus-foot the uh, flight, which I think, if I remember correctly, you, you mentioned in the video, was over two hours total time from the time you took off to the time that you came back and landed. That whole – obviously, the whole entire thing isn't on the video that we see. It's you know sped up and, and cut and things like that. Um, at any point during that flight, because you know I watch it and my wife watched it with me and – my in-laws watched it as well, and, you know, you're hearing people make comments and things along these lines. At any point along the way during that flight, did you think, I may never see the ground again? Was that ever something that ever, you know, crossed your mind, or was it, uh, you know, just, hey, I'm going to do this regardless of what happens? <laughs> no, that flight was I, – I was on a I was on a strict mission. I told myself I was going to cross that 15,000-foot mark. I had a spare bottle of O2 that was sitting beside me. Not many people know that. Um, I never ended up having to actually use it. Um, that was just more or less if I started to feel anything, but in terms of answering your question. So when I got up to like 12,000, 13,000 foot, I was more or less like every once in a while I'd look down and I was just like, wow, this is this crazy. It all kind of looked the same about 10,000. and didn't really notice too much of a difference as the ground was obviously slowly, slowly, slowly getting smaller. Um, but at a certain point, like I was just chilling out there. I'm like, I don't know if I'll make it back down, but I'm assuming everything's going to be fine. Like, I trusted my gear. I understand the, the dynamics, the, the way the physics work with the wing. Like, there shouldn't be an issue unless there's some sort of massive wind gust that comes and just rips me apart. But I looked at all the winds aloft, which means you can check the winds from 500 foot all the way up to 26,000 foot. And I checked each and every 1,000 foot criteria, and none of them shifted within three or four miles an hour within each other. So there was no major gusts that were changing in that altitude range um so it was a safe flight pretty much the whole way up almost the entire way down i think i might have had like one little gust of wind that kind of like bumped me up and down a little bit but did nothing to the wing um but yeah total flight time was two hours and 43 minutes i believe it was and i pretty much idled the whole way down and just looked for that big lake to reference where my car was and probably one of the coldest flights i've ever been on and definitely one of the more that was definitely the probably the most epic flight i've ever done in my entire life yeah, you were up uh, there. Go ahead. <laughs> no, he was up there. You were up there, real, real high, and and being up there that high. Tell us about the experience of going through clouds and that cold temperature starting to hit you. Did you go from like, oh man, this is really cool, to man, this is getting really cold? What did I do? So, in terms of the cloud, I came up to the cloud and ended up not going through it. I, technically illegal it is illegal to go through a cloud i went around the cloud and as i popped up through the one opening that there was 
Um, I popped up and it just felt like as if you just opened the, the gates to heaven. Like you just like, it, I couldn't see the ground anymore. All I saw was the sunlight and just fluffy clouds for miles on end. It seemed like they never ended. It was one of the most, like, I can't even explain it. Like you can be on a plane and see these kind of things, but like coming up in such a slow speed versus everything passing you so quickly, just, it was a lot to take in like not emotionally i guess just like i've never seen scenery like that i mean you can climb a mountain and see all this stuff but you're still on ground there's just a whole nother perspective i can't really explain it nothing's replicated it i'm, tr- I'm tr- still trying to replicate it unless i go up that high again with the perfect conditions with clouds the way they were it's almost it's almost just i love to watch i love to go back and almost watch that video just to kind of you know reminisce what that felt like it it was mesmerizing guys it was just it was it truly was yeah, it sounds like it's one of those things that you just like like you're trying to describe there. You can't describe it. It's it's something you have to see firsthand. And even when you see it, it's so breathtaking that you really can't do justice by speaking words to it. So um, you've done that. You've done the, the 15,000 or in this case over 17,000 feet uh, flight, which you mentioned was almost three hours long. You've flown um, around clouds. You've flown over alligators. Um, you've flown to, I believe it was Chick-fil-A in St. Pete Beach, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. Ice cream, grocery shopping, going shopping for uh, a tuxedo for a wedding. What, what's the next adventure that you have planned? So the big ones that um, I haven't really wanted to talk about too much, but I did actually talk about it in my Florida Keys video, so I guess it's already out there if someone wanted to go watch it. Um I'm getting logistics put together right now, and I have my guide boat ready for it. I'm going to be doing a flight from Miami to the Bahamas after I put on my extended tank, which is going to be like 74 miles worth of water crossing. Um, so it'll be one of the more gnarly flights I've ever done. I've never crossed that much water. I don't think I've ever gone more than 15 to 14 miles over the water at any given point in time. Um, anything kind of goes wrong, it's going to be an immediate water landing. And then the other one, as long as I can get – um, at the embassy on board, I'm going to do a flight from the southernmost point of Key West into Cuba. So those are the next two biggest flights that I'd like to be able to wow. achieve, hopefully this year. Um, other than that, I'd like to go out west and fly some of the some of the bigger mountains and go explore out there. I think that would be really, really interesting, really neat. Yeah, those views out west will certainly be um, great. And then being over the water, you're going to be at some point where you can't see land at all. So you have uh, you have uh, I believe it's GPS on your phone um, that helps you out with the directions and everything. Is that correct? Yes. Good to have. Yeah, and, Technology's come a long way. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of technology, and do you still work for the International Aircraft Marketing and Sales Department? If so, please tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I work down in, uh, in Sarasota, Florida at the SRQ airport. I, uh, I sell private jets for a living, and it's uh, – a very fun job, very rewarding, very mentally taxing. I'll tell you that much. But um, you meet a lot of a lot of crazy people, and you get to understand and see how these guys are able to afford these things, what they do. I mean, you talk to some of the some of the people you never think you talk to. You got Will Smith, you got Mark Cuban, like you have you know, Ludacris. I mean, I've talked to a lot of famous people just on casual phone calls. They're just completely different personas than you probably think. They're just normal guys just trying to buy or sell their aircraft, whatever the case may be. And um, it's it's an interesting world. You get to travel, you get to you know check out cool planes, flying them, um, and just uh, it's kind of a hustler's uh, lifestyle, I guess you can say. It's it's difficult, but um, just 
got to keep yourself grounded mentally and always have the uh, the aspect of where you came from and never let that get to your head. Wow. And so this is all, I'm assuming, commission off of a sale of a jet? Turboprop, piston planes, all of the above. Helicopters, wow. any of that. Nice, nice. How did you get into that industry? So um, it's all about who you know, right, guys? So it's, uh, yeah. I was working at an automotive. Because those jobs really don't just pop up in front of your face and you can't really supply for them. So I was working at uh, ZF Automotive for four years in Michigan. I have, a, I have a big engineering background. I'm a mechanical background kind of guy. I worked on cars, worked on motorcycles, worked on boats, worked on everything you possibly think on um, technology-wise. And uh, my girlfriend, um, her cousin was actually the VP, actually is the VP still of the company. And uh, we were at a family get-together in Ohio where she's from. And um, he, me, and him, me and him got to talk for two hours. Next thing you know, I came down there on a whim to, like, uh, just meet up and get, have a little quick interview and see how it would, you know, work out. And he goes, hey, yeah, if you really want to, you know, do this, you got to move down here in a month. And I'm like, wow, all right. So I give up, like, every one of my friends in Michigan and come to Florida where there's nobody that I know and uh, just start a new life. I'm like, all right, sounds like a plan. So I did it. Well, you got that warmer weather, which is uh, certainly a positive uh, coming from Michigan, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I'm from Miami originally, so I, I was born and raised in Miami. I lived there until I was 10, and then moved to Michigan for 16 years, and now I'm back. Well, okay. Got you there. All right. So you're used to the the climate. Uh, used to be used. Here. Used to yeah. be <laughs> Now, so. flying in Florida versus flying in Michigan, I guess it would depend on the time of year, but what, what, what do you prefer, or is there not really a preference on either one? So to answer that question, I wish I spent about six more months of summertime in Michigan because I think there's a lot of areas, especially up by Mackinac City, Traverse City, the Sleeping Bear Dunes, all those areas that I would have loved to be able to go fly around. But I never really – right as I got my new setup, I ended up moving away like a month or two later, I think. And I never had the travel time needed to go fly up north and go to like Mount Bohemia, like all the way up 10 hours up there. There's so many beautiful elevation changes, forestry bridges you know small islands and then the sand dunes i've always wanted to do that there's a there's a big what is it 2500 foot drop so you can run off the cliff and just glide straight down all the way to the lake michigan which is pretty cool i mean i, I wish i would have flown more of michigan to be honest with you it was great while i was there but the, the same area i was always in got kind of boring if you might say it's very flat just like florida but florida's got a lot more to see i feel like beach wise and structure wise water wise and all that yeah, and and you actually had my my gentleman pumping and got me nervous. Speaking of the Florida, there was a part where you was thinking about landing in between some trees, and I was like, "It's tempting, but just don't do it because you never know what can happen between trees." Which video was this? This was the other day, the one that you uh, were doing. You were by the Florida Keys, and you were yeah. doing. Yeah, there was a little... There oh, was yeah, a pack. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Where I was like, oh, I don't know if I can land here, but if I had to, yeah. I was just going through a possible theoretical engine out. I'm like, if I had to land here, how would I land here and how would I take back off kind of thing? I always run that through my mind because you never know when you might need to do something like that. Yeah, and and then you mentioned that you're going to be flying over water for a good period of time, and that makes you a little nervous. If you know, something does have to, where you have to do a landing in the water, what are you prepared to do if that were to happen for safety reasons? So, I mean, I'll have plenty of altitude to, to, to glide back down. So let's say I'm, uh, let's say I'm 30 miles in the trip. I mean, distance is irrelevant. The second you had two miles offshore, there's no, there's no gliding back. 
So um, let's say you go in the water. As you're coming down and approaching the water, I mean, you're, you're already unstrapped completely. The biggest thing to do is you pull your left and right toggles is basically your steering, and you pull your brake a little bit, which slows the wing down, and then you let off so it accelerates the wing in front of you and you land behind it so that way the wing doesn't land on top of you and suffocates you. And since you're already out of the harness, you have floats on the side of the paramotor. You just pull these two levers or these two little strings, chill cords, whatever you want to call them, and they inflate so it'll keep all your gear floating. It'll keep the wing above water, and that way you can still hang on to your paramotor until the, the guide boat comes and grabs you. But you have to get out from underneath the paramotor prior to that because that's, that's what kills pilots. Yeah, so definitely – something to to know and something to be aware of if somebody's actually thinking about doing that. And I guess you're not nervous about that either. Um, No, I don't really ever get nervous until I'm on my drive on the way there. And then like, I'm about to take off. And then once I'm in the air, I'm just like, all right, you know what, let's, whatever it'll be, it'll be it. I'll figure it out once I get going. Like, I mean, like I'm planned, like I plan for what's to come. I, I gear myself correctly for the, the task at hand and, I mean, sometimes there's just variables you hadn't thought of, but you try to think of everything prior to going. And um, like I said, the guideboat's the biggest godsend because without that, obviously, I wouldn't be making the, the trip. Um, if, I mean, if for any reason that the, the water or waves get too high, though, and let's say I'm 30 miles into the trip and they have to turn back because they're just not capable of keeping up at that given point in time, you kind of have to just make a decision to to continue or come back because I'm going to have to do it on a way where they're on a, on a day that there's 10 mile an hour tailwinds at least. So I have a good ground speed. You can cruise 40 miles an hour to make that trip happen. And with 10 mile an hour winds, that could, uh, you, it just, that'll depend on what it does to the ocean in terms of the rollers that you're going to have one foot, two foot rollers, three foot rollers, and what size boat is going to be following you. And if they can, you know, cruise through there at a good pace that you'd be in the sky. So, so there's factors you have to take into account. Certainly, certainly. Now, when you go on this trip, where specifically in South Florida are you going to be leaving from? All right, so if I pull up my maps right now, I'm going to be taking off from – I'm probably going to be taking off right from Key Biscayne. And there's a little park right there called Grandin or Crandon Park, and I'm going to be flying straight, obviously, east. And it's going to go – it's going to go – I'm going to land at – Pretty sure that's not. I'm not going to NASA. I'm going to or NASA. I'm going to the first little island. I think that's Bimini. Is the first one, if I'm not mistaken. It's straight south of uh, Freeport, so that's 60, 72 miles. And, and approximately, what uh, time frame does it take to to do that particular flight? Is it about two hours or so, or? I'm hoping it's going to be like an hour and a half. If I have a good tailwind, I should be able to cruise 40 miles an hour. So, yeah, 70 miles, 40 miles an hour, probably an hour 20, hour 30, if all goes to, goes well and there's no wind shear or wind change of direction on my way there. Well, that'll yeah. be very interesting. I'm looking forward to that video. I know Alan is as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I am, and, and definitely looking forward to that video and the rest of them and and for those who are listening, make sure you guys, he, you know, one thing I did have to correct Aaron, he's got over 63,000 subscribers for YouTube. Make sure you guys subscribe to Chucky Wright there on YouTube. And also make sure you follow him on Instagram at SuperChuckCW. That's SuperChuckCW. And you can also find him on Facebook, Chucky Wright. And make sure you. We want to make sure that he gets him to 100k followers. So 
we actually, myself, I'm nowhere near 100, you know, the followers you have. Can you give us an insight on how you build a base of followers of, to be, you know, 60,000 plus? So, um, I mean, I'll put it out there. Uh, the 17,500 foot video and my bodybuilder versus gymnast video. The bodybuilder versus gymnast had like 8 million views. That got me like 20K subscribers. Oh, wow. Um, and then the, the, the 17,500 foot got me like 30 K. So I'm at, that's like 50 just off two videos. And, um, the other like 15 is just off, I guess me having a YouTube for four years and just pushing out content. So it's about having those big titled videos that you're actually not just clickbaiting and you're actually, you know, you know, you're pulling through with exactly what that title says. Like if you're flying a 17,500 foot, you're, you're doing just that. Or, you know, you're, you're making a competition video, you're doing just that, and you're bringing it to the, you know, making it a highlight reel where everything inside that video is difficult, tough, and not, you know, meant for the average person to be able to look at and be like, oh, I can just go do that. You want to make it so it's difficult and appreciated at the highest level. So definitely, obviously, clickbait titles, but if it's going to be clickbait, at least follow through with your videos. That's, that's what gains the most traction. So the way you word your titles are huge, I'm starting to starting to notice. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of people like to see, you know, top five things or five things I love most or, you know, how-to videos, you know, with good instructions is a great, great way to, you know, build a following. Yeah, you're doing doing fantastic at that. And then is it second nature to you now? Like when you do a video, you just get your phone out and is it just like, you know, putting on a pair of pants? It's so automatic to you because some people that, that takes work to – document everything that they do is it natural to you now at this point it's so easy literally the phone that i'm talking to you guys on right now i just pull out my iphone and i literally just point the camera back at myself and i kind of just talk about the idea off my head i do one take i don't redo it i don't care it's kind of just raw like let me get out there and live in the. if i'm going to live in the moment i'm not out here to just film it i'm going to just click a button it's going to start recording and i'll talk for a little bit get up in the air click a button, throw a GoPro underneath my leg, and I'll enjoy the flying while it films me. And whatever I talk about, I just edit it after to spend about an hour editing at most. And uh, that's it. Post the video and then just share my journey. And if people want to watch, they want to watch. If they don't, they don't. But I also do plan most of my videos out to be a little bit more epic, interesting, you know, fun, exciting. Like I want something interesting to happen within the flight because that's what people enjoy. And that's what I enjoy doing. I like, I like the variables. I like being able to attack things that get thrown at me and see how I can handle them. So it's, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it definitely looks like a lot of fun, and you're enjoying life, and and I did want to ask you that question. Have you ever, because you have that GoPro in your hand, and it, you always think, I was I, myself, I think, has he ever dropped something from the sky? Have you? <laughs> I've never That was actually my next question. I know every video I've watched, the, the very first thing that comes to mind, other than your safety, of course, has been, you know, the GoPro. Now, is that actually attached or is that just stuck under your leg and you tilt the wrong direction and have it fall out? It's literally underneath my leg, but that pole, um, it's like three foot or two and a half foot long. And I have a good like half a foot underneath my leg. So, and it's, and when you have the compression of your, your hamstring pushed up against it, it's not moving whatsoever. So if it does slip, it's gone. There is no attachment <laughs> around your wrist. Yeah, exactly. No, it'll be gone. <laughs> okay, so you oh, broke up a little bit. So you haven't dropped anything. Is that is that is that right? Because you broke up a little bit when you answered. What's that? Pardon? You, you actually broke up a little bit when you answered. Did so just to clarify, you you haven't actually dropped anything. No, I have never dropped anything off my setup okay. yet. 
state. Nope, I don't plan on doing so. I mean, I, I treat it as if I drop it, I lose it for good, and I'm not trying to lose any of these things because some of them are, you know, not cheap to replace at the drop of a whim. <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess the the challenge that we want to make to you, you you've eaten Chick-fil-A, I believe it was a Chick-fil-A sandwich in the air, so we we need to get you. I know that you're, you're back in Florida now, maybe, a, I don't know, a pub sub uh, or a Subway sub, you know, something like that uh, would be your next uh, – your next food challenge for flying. What would be my next food challenge for flying? Well, I was, I was suggesting maybe a, a subway sub or a pub sub. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what would you say is maybe the next one that you're thinking about? Um, let's see if I'm going to do another one, I'd probably do, I mean, I'll probably, no, I did Chipotle. So might as well just keep the trend going. Might do like Kidoba. Um, I want to get, I want to do something unique, like um, some sort of bigger franchise that I can get on board with that would be cool and be able, like, be able to like land, pull up right to the restaurant, grab the food, go up, and then eat it on a journey going somewhere. I don't know what franchise is still kind of big. I'm not a big fan of fast food. Like other than Chick Fil A, I don't have, I haven't had like real fast food. I guess you can call it in like 12 years. I don't drink soda or pop. It's been 12 years since I've had any of that. So it's hard for me wow. to go to like any of these places and just get food for me sometimes. I'm trying to um, think. Yeah, I don't know. What restaurant? Yeah, what it, restaurant, guys? What what ideas do you guys have? Throw one out there. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much game as long as it's a big name item uh, restaurant. Hey, you got well, such a big following that I I wouldn't see why they wouldn't partner with you to sponsor you to do it because 63,000 followers on YouTube is is that's amazing and. You know, with me, I you keep in great shape. No soda in twelve years. I think we, Aaron hasn't had a soda in twelve minutes. It's tough for him. But you do work out. I could tell it in your pictures there. How often? And I could just see in your videos. How often do you work out? Uh, about five days a week, six days a week. Oh wow. Yeah, so definitely. Ever because, since I was 15, yeah. Yeah, you're definitely stronger than the average person. You say that a lot, and that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely comes to my advantage in a lot of things I do, especially lugging around that 80-pound paramotor, which is can be taxing for some people. Yeah, I'm certainly, glad you said certainly. that. It looks light. I didn't realize 80 pounds. Yep, they're 85 pounds of full fuel, and the wing's like four pounds, five pounds. So I would say Subway would be my pick then, because they're you know they're a national chain, um, and I, I can just kind of picture the commercial now. You're, you're flying around Florida with a foot long, um, tur- I don't know, turkey sub. Um, I, I, I could see something working out with that. So maybe we'll see that down the line for you. <laughs> I just added it to my notes, so I'd definitely open a problem. I'd probably end up doing that without an issue. There we go. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing that one for sure. Absolutely. And definitely, I want to say that quote you said, stay close to the Lord. You never know what new experiences might last. So definitely, those are no truer words said than that. I love that. That was in your bio section of YouTube. Make sure you guys subscribe to YouTube channel, which we're going to do here, and also follow Chucky Wright on Instagram at SuperChuckCW and Facebook too, Chucky Wright. So definitely, is there any other words you wanted to leave with our fans and about yourself and before we let you go? 
No, man, I greatly appreciate you guys having me on the show, and I appreciate all you guys that are listening. If you're still listening to the the sport of paramotoring, and all I got to say, my two cents would be, um, if you're going to get into this sport, or at least, you know, you're obviously going to probably, some of you guys might look it up, definitely get training. I, I would stress that, upon, you know, stress that to almost every single person that wants to enter the sport. If you want to go to the self-taught, self-taught route, please take your time. Kiting is your best friend prior to ever flying, and, uh, yeah, I wish uh, I would have got gone to a school. I would have accelerated my skills in a week or two versus taking six months to get to where I'm at. You know, school school accelerate everything and teach you the safety, the airspace, everything that you need to know prior to flying because you can't just go out there and fly recklessly because that's how you get regulations put on the sport, and that is not a good uh, not a good thing because it's an unregulated sport at this given point in time, meaning there's no need for a license. So just want to put that out there because. I've crossed some uh, barriers where I've done some things that I wasn't fully aware of, and uh, you definitely want to make sure you're checking your airspaces and all those all those sorts, so you're you're not getting uh, hassled by the community. Yeah, I mean, definitely safety first, and you want to be good with your neighbors. And speaking of neighbors, maybe you should take your neighbor out to Chick Fil A because <laughs> they have to put up a lot of with a lot of engine noise. So I got to give your neighbor credit. No, none of my neighbors around here experience. They've never, all they see is go on the back of my car and I drive about 10 miles away to a park and they never see me fly or anything. Good, good. Yeah. So good that you keep decent neighbors. But yeah, that's great. I mean, definitely it's been an honor having you and definitely stay safe. We, we pray that you, you know, have safe landings and continue doing what you're doing and we're going to keep following you and hope that you, keep giving us great videos absolutely guys and thank you like thank you so much for uh, bringing me on and uh i will have some videos for you guys here in the the coming weeks and i will definitely more than likely just uh send it to you guys over facebook and uh definitely the subway one because you guys called that one out so that I'm <laughs> all right perfect well thank you so much chucky for joining us for tonight it has been a delight and like i said uh you know i'll say this again Videos we've already seen are great, and we uh, we know that there'll be even greater ones coming here in the future. So, again, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You guys have a good night. You too. You, you too. Talk to you guys. Bye. Take care. All right. So, Chucky Wright, uh, again, if you joined us late here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk uh, podcast here this evening, um, you missed it. Uh, thankfully, you can listen to it again after its completion, but – Chucky Wright, that was a great interview there, and uh, his paramotoring skills, uh, I mean, just off the charts as far as, uh, as, far as, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not a professional, of course, in that area or that arena, but a lot of fun to watch, and he does a terrific job putting the videos together. Um, we've got another guest on the line here this evening, uh, one that most of you are more familiar with. Uh, that is our good buddy, Lou, from up in New Jersey, and Lou, thank you for patiently waiting here on the program here tonight. Um, got a lot of sports stuff going too as well. Thank, thanks for coming, uh, yes. coming on. Yeah. Well, I was watching the uh, Ranger game, which was what we thought was going to go into overtime as it was uh, 3-3 with a minute and a half to go. But surprise, surprise, the Rangers came with two goals uh, within the last minute and a half and won the game. And now we're tied three apiece in the series. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Love it. So Love it. Yeah. Of course, that probably may not happen if Sidney Crosby wasn't hurt in Game 5 on Wednesday. So I'm like, can the Rangers take advantage of it? And tonight, they did. Yeah, so, man. 
That's it's it's been a tough. That's what do you think about Pittsburgh? Yeah, what do you think about the series so far? Like as far as the playoffs? Now that depends on which series you mean. Of course, the Rangers. The Rangers. Oh well, you know I have my doubts about it because Pittsburgh has been capable of beating us in the playoffs, and I'm like, okay, here we go again. I mean, Malkin's still in the, still in the game, even though he's approaching you know the dinosaur years by now. And I thought, well, if anybody's going to give us a hard time, he's going to give us a hard time. And so it's Crosby. Now, technically, we the series should be over because we should have won that first game. But no, we had to be called back for goalie interference at the near the end of the third the third period, which was a stupid call, and we lost that on account of the refs being a bunch of idiots. So technically, this series should already be over. Wow. So, you know, we, um, we we got cheated out of game one. We got cheated out of that first win. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Aaron? Well, I was going to say, staying in the hockey side of things, uh, you were absolutely right, Lou, a week ago when you mentioned, you know, Toronto is going to give Tampa a run for their money. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the series is tied at three now. Tampa had to, yep. to win a huge game six uh, in order to – get it to where it's at now so now it's a one game mm-hmm. series um i believe it's tomorrow night the, the final game of the series is going to be played who has the upper yep. hand at this point would you like me to flip a coin no no um, <laughs> in all in all seriousness uh leaps especially if matthew stays in his game matthew has been phenomenal this whole year Yeah, I, I would have to. I'm like, wait, 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 come back, come to the States. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely would want to, in my heart, kind of disagree with Lou, but I really can't. I definitely hope and pray that the Bolts do win, but I agree with Lou. Right. Definitely the Maple Leafs have the advantage. Anytime you're playing at home, that game seven, that's an advantage you have. And you know, for them, for the Bolts to just force a game seven was really, really difficult. So I'm praying that the that the Bolts can win this game. But I agree with Lou. The the Maple Leafs have the advantage. Now, if if Tampa gets past Toronto tomorrow night, you know who who would stand in Tampa's way to potentially go for a three-peat? Hmm. Good question, Lou. Who do you think? Yeah. That's a tough one, you know. I mean, the Tampa Bay, you know, Lightning are the two-time defending champs, and they're showing why they're the two-time defending champions. So, anyone who they face in the next round, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Yeah, I just think um, the Bolts got to get past this series first and foremost, and yeah. it's it's. I think if they do that, then I think they have a clean slate at looking at the next round and go from there. But I, I definitely do agree that anytime you're trying to, be, you know, become a dynasty and win three, you're going to get everybody's best shot. No one's going to kind of take a day off for you. They're going to come and fight and tooth and nail to take that shine away from you. So, of course, the Bolts have already done miraculous in the fact that they pushed the game, forced the game seven, because they, they were, the Maple Leafs have been really bringing it. And Matthews is the reason why. Yeah, and and sometimes this is the way I look at it. You know, it could be 
in hockey like we're talking about now, but we also see this in other sports too. We'll talk about football or baseball for a moment. A lot of times you'll see a team, especially in the first round of the playoffs, they they kind of seem like they're like go either direction, and then once they figure it out, nothing can stop them at that point. And that's kind of where I feel Tampa's at right now. I feel like if they get past Toronto tomorrow night, it's going to be really difficult for anybody to, to, to slow them down the rest of the way. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're as good a team as they were each of the last two seasons, but I do believe that if they get past Toronto, that might be their biggest challenge this entire, this entire Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think this, they're in a fight for their lives right now. They get past the series. I think they got a clean slate. I think they regroup, and I think they come in with a lot more confidence. And and you're right. I think this is this is it right here. They got to get past the series, and then from there, the chance of them getting three, to me, gets a lot easier. Yeah, the hockey playoffs are so grueling. Uh, obviously, you know we talk about how yeah. the seven game series you get a day between each game. Um, you know, so you get that extra rest time in there, and the playoffs are basically two full months. Um, you know, back and forth. Now, switching gears, um, obviously, Lou, you're in a different part of the country than we are, for those of you out listening yeah. who aren't aware. He's up in New Jersey, so he's got all, all the, the New York media, the New York sports teams. Um, talk a little bit about how both the New York baseball teams are doing right now and the perception around New York as both those teams are playing so well here at this present time. Phenomenal. But I think with, you know, uh, good old Uncle Buck uh, coming to the Mets, I think it's made a significant difference uh, how the team has been doing this year. I mean, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, the right uh, the right uh, manager to get the, to get the team on the winning track. And so far, he has, he has done it for the Mets. Unfortunately, the Mets are now going through a series of injuries. And that, even though I'm a Mets fan, I do think there may be a bit of concern um, in the weeks to come, because uh, Degrom has now moved to the 60-day injured list, and you know, as the season you know goes on and you get closer to like uh, you know the stretch run, they're going to need a pitcher like that because I don't know how they're going to handle it, you know, without him. So there is some concern. Yankees are doing doing great. I wasn't worried about that first week of the season. Oh, look, they're two and four right now. Oh, they're gonna be in the, they're gonna be a trash heap this year. I'm like, shut up, okay? First week of the season means absolutely nothing, okay? Nothing. So don't give me that telling. Oh well, oh they're they're in last place. They're two and five right now. Oh, they're gonna be in the dumpster all year. Oh, come on, get serious. Only a, only a naysayer of the Yankees would would go to such length to say that. Yeah, they're they're too well put together. Oh, the Yankees are doing great. Yeah, thanks a lot, you bandwagon <laughs> fans. I told you so in the first place. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 too well put together a team, um, and they're yeah. fairly healthy. They're they're too good, uh, too well put together a team. To, that's what to you fail. need to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I, I think they're in one of the tougher divisions in baseball. I still think, I still think oh, Tampa yeah. is the team to beat in the in the AL East. But you brought up a good point yeah, about the Mets there. You know, un- Uncle Buck Buck Showalter to those uh, out there who don't know who we're referring to, and you talk about having somebody in, it's ironic that you bring his name into this, you talk about, you know, how his career has come full circle, because if you look at what the Mets have done, really since Terry Collins left, I don't know, five or six years ago, they've gone through a cycle of different managers, and, you know, issues with some of them, of course, uh, 
the one who uh, who was it was former pitching coach with uh, Mickey Callaway. Um, yes. There were some issues there that, that led to his uh, dismissal. But but the point I was going to make there is the ironic thing is you go back 25 or so years ago, and Buck Showalter was a younger manager with the Yankees, and he was kind well, of the I. same. <laughs> exactly. So the funny thing about it, or the ironic thing about it, I guess, is full circle. He was the young manager, kind of like they had last year yeah. with the Mets, and they brought in a, an experienced guy in Joe Torre who had been a manager with several different clubs, um, some not as successfully. But then you bring in Buck Showalter, and he has a trend of, I mean, look what he did at the end of his time in New York. Um, he got Arizona heading in the right direction. They fired him, and they won the World Series next year. Um, he did some good things in Texas. They never went to the postseason, but they were very close, and they were actually in the playoffs a year or two after he left. And then he had some pretty good success in Baltimore. So it's not surprising yeah. that he's doing great things. And I really think he's actually one of the he, – he, he kind of brings the old school and the new school stuff together with the analytics. Um, I think he's a great fit for – for the Mets. I don't like it because obviously I mean, that's my rival. But <laughs> Because when you, when you look at last year, you know, in April, the Mets were off to a hot start and everybody was thinking, okay, get your playoff tickets ready. But what happened after that? After uh, Memorial Day started, they just collapsed and died. So, you know, I thought, is it going to be deja vu again this year? Okay, they got a hot start in April, but are they going to continue? This year, I think I see something different happening. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the Mets are a really bringing in Buck really made a big difference. He he fits the team really well. He's got a lot of experience. He's a very very good manager. And if you look at their standings, they're up six games to the Braves and the Phillies. I mean, it just they're just rolling. Six games, okay. Six games. Now the thing is that is great, especially if you're a Met fan. Uh, not one of them, but six games. Um, this time of year, even in September, is not really an insurmountable lead. And to give you an example, uh, let me take you back to 2007. The Mets, seven games up in the last week of the season, you look like a sure win, a sure win to get into the playoffs, right? Right. All they needed to do was win, I think, one or two games in that seven-game stretch, and they would lock up the division. Guess what happened? They lost every game that last week, and Philly snuck in. I'm like, this is the greatest collapse since 1951. I'm like, what the? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, mean, I, almost, right. I almost dropped dead. You're absolutely right. They're, they're definitely, it's not over yet. It's it's still very early in the season, but you could tell the Mets are going to be a team that's going to be in the mix for sure. You know, they're going to be a team that, yeah, I mean, I just feel that the, the Braves, the Phillies, and the Marlins are going to have to think about the Mets because – they just got a very good manager, and Buck Schroelwalter, he, he, not only does he know how to manage, he brings out the talent in all of the players. What are your thoughts yeah. on that, Aaron? Well, I think uh, just as much credit as Buck Schroelwalter deserves for being there, and I think that's really what, what helps. You, know, you bring in somebody who you know, kind of ties things all together. This is a guy who's managed four other teams in the past with fairly good success at each place he had in the past. But as much as he is important, I think Max Scherzer is also in there as well. I think if you took him out of the equation, yep. it would be a different story. Now, they lost tonight. Mad Scherzer Max. lost, I believe, this evening. Um, but it's going to come down to health. And, and, you know, Lou is absolutely right. Yes. You know, 
if you, we go back to last year, we don't have to go back to 2007. You go back to just this last year, you look where the standings were in late June, and New York had five, six, seven game leads somewhere in that range, and Atlanta ended up coming back and winning the division. So there's a lot of things that can happen. This, this is why, and I've learned mm-hmm. this over the 30 plus years that I've been been you know uh, analyzing baseball seasons and things of that nature. It's a full 162 games, and I look at it this way. It's kind of like there, there are two different kinds of great runners out there. You have the, 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 the people who can run the 26.2 miles because they pace themselves to be able to do that. They're trained to be able to run a long distance for a long period of time. And then you have the sprint runners who run, you know, they, they run very well, they run very fast, and they, they, they are trained to run distance in a very quick amount of time mostly you know olympic runners and and those sorts of things if you were to have someone who runs those types of races try to run a, a marathon they may not be able to, to do it in the same time that some of these people who win like the boston marathon and the new york marathon in two hours or so i've done that uh, twice. To, run, to run that to, you know to run that distance so my point is this kind of like a football season football season you know is 16 17 games now which is one tenth of a baseball season if you have a three or four game losing streak, your season's probably over. Whereas in baseball, it's it's little corrections here and there. And honestly, the worst decisions that get made in baseball by a team or a manager, a front office, however you want to look at it, are the knee jerk reaction decisions. Now, if you lose a player for the season and you got to replace them somehow, that might be a little bit of a different story. But if you're just having a struggle at some point it's looking at the analytics of what you're doing wrong and figuring out those small ways to correct things because 162 games is a lot of baseball to be played. And so many, many things can happen throughout the course of a season. And I'll use last year as an example. I'll use last year and I'll use 2019 when the Nationals won it all. Neither one of those teams, the Braves probably were in a better position going into last year to be a World Series Mm -hmm. caliber team. The Nationals weren't. If you go to, to the Nationals standings in June of 2019, that was the year they won the World Series, about the end of June, they were about five, six, seven games under 500, and they were talking about Dave Martinez, their manager, being you know on the hot seat, and things slowly turned around. And the ironic thing is both them and Atlanta last year ended up uh, beating Houston in the World Series. But, you know, you just never know how it's going to work out. I, you know, I look at uh, – yeah the 2011 Cardinals, they only won 83 games. And they were nine games back in early September in the wild card that year, and they ended up winning it all. So you just never know what's going to happen. No, you're absolutely right. What are your thoughts on that, Lou? About Uh, baseball, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. No, you you don't, especially with a long season of 162 games. I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, like you said, like football, college football, or whatnot. even probably even uh, the NHL and the NBA. You know, they only play half a season as long as baseball does. So if you, like, lose a six, seven-game losing streak, you know, you're in trouble. That's a lot of ground to make up. Well, baseball, if you, if you do go on that kind of losing streak, um, like in the early months, you still got time to make it up. I mean, if you go on a 10-game losing streak in late August and September, yeah, then you're a dead duck. I mean – You'll, you'll miss first place, you won't get the division, and you're slipping in the wildcard standings. Because remember, um, in the 2002 season, the Mets had the same fate. They were um, 
a game and a half behind Atlanta, and they were like a shoe in to take the division. Then they lost the game with extra innings to Atlanta, and from that on, they lost 12 straight, and they never recovered from that uh, from that losing streak there. So it's when you get that losing streak that also is important. If you go out like now, like the Reds are, you got time to make it up. I mean, yeah, okay, you were three and twenty-two in April. Okay, well, number one, first of all, you suck anyway. Number, two, but number two, you got time to make that up. Difficult as it is, but still mathematically possible. If that was in August and September, no chance. Yeah. So you, you definitely, it's how you end that season makes a big difference, and that's the one great thing about baseball is. Like to lose point, you can make it up. So you can have you know losing streaks, and you can still make it into the playoffs. That's the great thing about baseball. It is a long season. The boys of summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 And to kind of go on to that point that you mentioned there before, having a, a losing streak at the wrong time of the year. I kind of had mentioned this one there before. 2011, that was, uh, I think, Philadelphia's oh, last yeah. year in the playoffs. They won the, the East that year. But Atlanta had a nine-game lead in the first week of September, and the bullpen just collapsed. And they ended up on the last day of the year losing to Philadelphia, and St. Louis won, and they ended up getting into the playoffs. And the Cardinals only won 83 games. That's one of the – I believe that's the lowest total any World Series champion has ever had. So – um, yes, they got hot at the right time, and other teams around them kind of you know fell apart. Like so, last year. Yep, exactly, exactly. And, and yeah. the, the best the best way I've heard this described is you know there's 162 games in a season. You're almost a guarantee. Now maybe the Reds will be the exception this year, but you're almost guaranteed to win 50 games and lose 50 games. It's that other 62 in no particular order or time frame. Those are the ones that make the difference. Is that other sixty-two right. games that happen? So, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So yeah, Lou. So I'm curious. What do you got cooking for your show this weekend? Let's see. Where do we begin? Well, of course, we got the playoffs to talk about, both the NBA and the NHL. Um, we're also going to discuss the NFL schedule, of course. But we won't be able to do all 17 weeks, you know, of all 272 games. Of that so we'll go by uh, the, the uh, prospective teams in the area from the callers, you know, because it's a two-hour show. I can't do I can't devote one topic to the whole show. Uh, we'll recap the um, Kentucky Derby. Well, that was a big surprise right there. Oh boy. Uh, we'll also cover the uh, that other football league that's been going on right now. Hint, hint. <laughs> and we'll, yeah, and we'll discuss more of the baseball. We'll even discuss some of the NHL as the draft lottery uh, was announced. So we'll announce the teams of where they stand, and if it's going to make a difference, you know, in the draft board, they're going to get going to be good. Name the Devils. <laughs> well, I imagine that that my girlfriend will kill me. <laughs> so you can see that. so she might be listening to the show, fellas. Be careful. <laughs> so anyway, if you got time between five and seven p.m. Uh, East Coast time tomorrow. Keep that in mind, guys. East Coast time, and it's a live show, so no f bombs, please, or s bombs, or h bombs, or anything else like that. Um, the number to call is five one two five four three four six six two. I'll repeat it again: five one two five four three 
four six six two, and it is toll free. So you have nothing to lose except you know self respect, dignity, nerve, pride, guts. Nothing important though. So um, you got the time? Call in. If you do, I guarantee I will get you in. Of course, within the allotted time. There you go. The Enhanced Sports Show, 5 to 7, Eastern Standard Time Zone, with Lou, 512-543-4662. Again, that's 512-543-4662. Make sure you guys support his show and call in tomorrow. I could use it. I'll have plenty of room, too. Yeah, so he'll he's expecting your call, and he'll have room for you. So it's a win-win Saturday yeah. on a there you go. Just have to make sure your weekend is just right. If I get a good amount of calls, mine will be right too. <laughs> there you go. And to think, though, I mean, and, and I like CNN Plus. We're still here. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> But yeah, All right. yeah, Go ahead. I mean, I've Go seen ahead, Stanley Cup game. I've seen Stanley Cup games last longer than that network. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I can't even accept the speech. Um, <laughs> my last doctor's appointment. Oh, okay, okay. Let's <laughs> get out of here. All right. If you got time guys, call in. I would greatly appreciate. Sounds good, Lou. All right. Well, Lou, thanks for joining us tonight, and you have a great uh, weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> Definitely appreciate Lou calling in. Regular callers, really appreciate Lou all the time. But, yeah, I wanted to go ahead and switch gears and get your thoughts on this, Aaron. You know, Tom Brady has a new, you know, analyst job where he – will be getting paid $375 million over 10 years to be an NFL analyst. What are your thoughts on that? Well, this has been brewing, I'm sure, for a while, because, you know, his his career ending, which we don't know for certain it's going to be after this year, but it's looking that way. As soon as he retired, that's the first thing everybody wanted to see him do is become an analyst, and I think he's going to do a great job at it. He's, you know, a good-looking guy. You know, obviously he's very popular, Um I think he'll be a great analyst, obviously 20-plus years as a quarterback in the NFL, more Super Bowl wins than any other quarterback in the history of the league, and I don't think anybody's going to get close to that in the future. He's got a lot of insight to bring. And here's the interesting thing about this. You look at all these changes that have been made with, you know, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck going to ESPN to do Monday Night Football. You've got uh, Al Michaels and I forget who all the pairings are. So this makes perfect sense. You know, Fox needed that big name. Joe Buck's been there for the last, what, 25 years. Same thing with uh, Troy Aikman. He's been there since the early 2000s. So you're, you're now going to have, uh, at Fox, you're now going to have that big name to follow, you know, follow along with. I think they, they hit it out of the park here, in my opinion. And, you know, funny thing is, I, I read somewhere that during his NFL career, he's made about the same amount of money as he'll be making – for this deal. And, you know, Tom Brady is one of those guys, you know, you see some players that retire from whatever sport they play and they kind of fizzle into the background and you might see him pop up every now and then for a special event or something like that. Tom Brady is going to be around football for a long time to come. I don't see him really ever disappearing from the, from, you know, the surroundings of football, kind of like, uh, kind of like John Madden when his coaching career 
came to an end. He, he ended it at, at that time for health reasons back in the late 70s. He got an opportunity to still be able to be around the game, and I think it'll be interesting to see how, how this uh, unfolds over the next several years. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And again, I think uh, Fox did a great job. They landed the number one free agent in my mind. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. They definitely did a fantastic job. I mean, it is a lot of money they're paying him, but they wanted a splash. And I think it's a fantastic deal for Tom Brady because, you know, who who does that? Who plays and makes as much money as Tom Brady does? And before you actually officially finish your NFL career, you have a job lined up that's going to pay you $375 million? That's just insane. I know he has a lot of haters. But you know what? Tom Brady is special. And I agree with you. I think he's going to do a great job with the analysts. One thing that kind of – the reason why I say that is because he is Bellier. He's extremely knowledgeable. He's a very smart man. He studies hard. He knows the game of football. And not only that, one of the things that really would attest on how he would do with the camera in front of the camera and talking and kind of rehashing – highlights was in the arena if you haven't watched that i have watched all 10 episodes i watched the entire documentary he did an excellent job and you know it was just uh he did a very good job of explaining what his mental state was why he made some of the decisions he made and he was very articulate in doing that he did you know i'm just saying being honest that he did curse a bit more than i would have liked to see which is surprising because Tom Brady usually doesn't use any profanity during his press conference, but he did, he did make, he, he was like a, you know, a sailor at a lot of times <laughs> during the documentary, but I know he won't do that during his, you know, being an analyst, he's going to know that. I think it's a win-win on both sides. And I know that the haters were jumping on Tom Brady. You can't really hate on this guy because when people try to copy Tom Brady, other quarterbacks, he comes in with something new that they can't really duplicate. And this guy lives and breathes football. And I, I just think it's a great fit for, for both parties. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great, uh, great fit going forward. Um, and I think that uh, I, I, I really feel like this coming season is going to be it for him. Um, so I think we're looking at 2023 where he'll make his um, – analyst debut there for uh, for Fox Sports. So um, moving along here, uh, obviously a lot of other things going on in the NFL. We're looking at um, you know mini camps coming up here before too much longer. But there's also some boxing news that I know you wanted to get to here. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in the boxing world right now. Yeah, there's actually quite a bit going on. And let me talk about last weekend's prediction that was against Canelo and Dimitri Bivol, and you know, he, and I was, I would say halfway right on this. I felt as if Dimitri Bivol was going to win the fight, but I didn't think he was going to get the decision because the fight was in Vegas and Canelo is the champion. Dimitri did win this fight, even though the question it was questionable as far as the scores it was a lot closer than it the scores were a lot closer than it really was dimitri bivel really won this fight i felt hand down you know they gave him a close decision but the right man did win the fight i was not surprised that canelo did lose this fight it's the first time he lost 
in, a, in, a, in about nine years since he lost to Floyd Mayweather. And a lot of fans really jumped on Canelo because of this loss. You know what? I think the fans need to, need to back up. I felt as if Canelo myself was going to have trouble winning this fight because he went from 160 to 168 up to 175. When he went up to 175 against a very, very game fighter, Dimitri Bivol, I felt as if he was going to run into trouble. And lo and behold, he did. He did lose the fight. But I don't feel as if it's fair how the fans piled on the criticism. The man wanted to create a legacy. He wanted to fight the best fights. He wanted to challenge himself. And sometimes in life, when you challenge yourself, you don't really know until you try. He gave it a try. It didn't work out. He lost. He still has an outstanding record. He only has two losses, this loss and the loss against Mayweather. And he's catching up to as far as the money-wise being even more paid over his career than Mayweather. So I think the criticism he's getting is unfair. So if Canelo's listening to this, you know, hey, man, you know, you, you try to get up there and cement your legacy. You gave it a try. It didn't work out. It doesn't mean that you're not a great fighter. I do think um, if he does take this rematch against Dimitri Bivol, it could be a mistake for Canelo in the regard that I think Dimitri has an advantage. If they keep the same weight, 175, Dimitri is a, a guy who naturally is at 175, so he's going to have the advantage. And on top of that, he's a very skilled boxer. So I would, if I was Canelo, I would rethink about doing a rematch against him. I know Canelo is going to do it anyway. But um, it was a very, very big fight, and it was a big loss. I just felt as if fans were really unfair the way they treated Canelo in this loss. Wow, okay. That's a very good, very good uh, analysis there on, on the, the battle between the two. Um, yeah. And then there was, uh, from what I'm seeing here in the notes, uh, there was uh, supposed to be um, a Mayweather fight here coming up in Dubai, and it has been canceled. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that fight was canceled. It was supposed to be tomorrow afternoon because it is Dubai time. It was going to be an afternoon. It was canceled because of the president in Dubai passed away. And because of that, all events in Dubai have been canceled. I think that's a lot of respect. And that's actually something that reminds me of how things used to be when I was in South Carolina. My grandmother, when people used to pass away, they used to move over to the side of the street out of respect. I feel here in America and, you know, where in Tampa and stuff like that, people don't do that. I think that's really cool that in Dubai that they canceled all events for at least three days because of the passing of the president. But I will say this much. I think this is two times in a month that I think Floyd Mayweather is getting the warning signs. What I mean by that is Floyd Mayweather dodged two times that he could have been really publicly embarrassed. The first time being when he went to that event in the UK and the boxer (laughs) got all the attention it was, a, it was a double meet and greet, which you normally don't get two at a time. But all of the fans flocked to Anthony Joshua, for those who don't know. Very few, almost nobody wanted with Floyd. But what Anthony Joshua did, he was very classy. He, he put his arm around Floyd. He tried to do everything he could in his power to include Floyd in this event, you know, so he wouldn't feel left out and he wouldn't feel bad. But you could clearly see Floyd was not the star of the show. And the second part to that, that, you know, so 
AJ saved them from embarrassment. I feel as if this thing being canceled saved Floyd of a lot of embarrassment because this event was not going to sell well. It did, from all my accounts that I and all the research I did, it was not going to be a very good selling fight. And there was a lot of things he had against him. Number one, it's in the afternoon U.S. time. Number two, the biggest thing is it's an exhibition. So even if the guy pours it on and beats Floyd, it's not going to count against a loss on Floyd's record. So Floyd is really getting money with really taking no risk except for embarrassment. But it's an exhibition. So I think it was good. I think it's it's never a blessing when somebody passed away. But I do think because this event was canceled, I think Floyd saved a lot of embarrassment being that the fight was not going to do too well. That's my thoughts on the cancellation of this fight. You know, and um, also I definitely wanted to say, you know, rest in peace to the president of Dubai. Let me make sure I have his name pronounced right and and make sure I say it this way too so you guys have it. But um, definitely, I definitely do think that Floyd is getting to the point of his popularity where it's running thin. So UAE President Chief Khalifa dies at 73. So that's the reason why it was postponed. But I do think this is a sign to Floyd that if you really want to get paid during these exhibitions, you're going to have to come up with better quality fights. And you also have to think about where you're holding these events. The only people I see would would have been interested in this fight was somebody in Dubai. And you have to ask yourself, are you that popular in Dubai? What are your thoughts on Floyd doing these things in the UK and UAE thinking he's going to be all that popular? Well, what it sounds like to me is that he's grasping at straws, looking for popularity elsewhere because his popularity here stateside has kind of dwindled. Um, He's not as popular as he had been at one point. Obviously, um, I mean, it really, I would say it's probably been a good 10 years since his popularity started to really dip. So now you're going overseas and, you know, it's one of those things where overseas they've heard your name before and they may want to check out and see who you are. But again, now you're going to a market that's unfamiliar and you're, you're not the biggest, most popular name there. Kind of like you talked about in the UK last week, you're not the biggest, most popular name there. That would be, you know, to me, it, it's kind of 50-50 whether that's going to work out. So, and obviously it did, but it didn't, if you will. And thankfully the other boxer, as you mentioned last week, was willing to put, to put aside the fact that they're rivals and, you know, extend an olive branch. And whether that worked in, in uh, Floyd Mayweather's favor or not, Obviously, didn't really seem like it did, unfortunately. But, um, you know, obviously, he tried to do the right thing there, as you mentioned before. Yeah, he tried, definitely tried to do a classy thing. And he's a class guy, and he, and he did his best. But, you know, it's like this. When you're not active, and boxing has changed over the last couple of years since Floyd was really in the ring a lot. Now, I think boxing has stepped up a bit in the regard that now – the A plus A against fighters, are, you don't see that as much, but you are seeing very, very good fights. Boxing is now putting on much better fights than they did a couple of years ago. 
if you don't see the two top guys fighting, you'll see the, the next level top guys, which are usually a very good fight, and people are usually interested in seeing that. The Canelo versus Bivol fight that I was just talking about, that's actually a very, very good fight. So boxing has done a lot better in putting together fights that not only are very good, but they do matter because somebody gets a loss and somebody gets a win, somebody gets a belt, somebody loses a belt, so there is a risk-reward, whereas if you do an exhibition, there is no risk. And, I mean, the only reward you get is money, but there really is no risk on your record. So I think Floyd is going to have to think about his marketing strategy if he wants to get back in the game. You know, and I agree with you on that. If you do anything overseas, I think Floyd got he he dodged a, a dodge a bullet because this fight was not going to sell well. And having said that, I want to give you my prediction for the Charlo versus Castano number two fight, which is going to be tomorrow. That is actually a very very good fight too. I have Jamel Charlo winning this fight. And I think I think Jamal Charles is going to win it convincingly. I felt as if the first time they fought, for people who don't know, the first time they fought, the, fought, the fight ended in a draw. It, in my opinion, it was not a draw. I feel as if Castano won that fight clearly and should have given Jamal Charlo his first loss. It didn't happen, but I think Jamal Charlo is the better fighter. So with them fighting the second time, I think Jamel is going to make those adjustments. He's already going to know what Castano has to offer. Castano might change a couple of things, but I think at the end of the day, Jamel Charlo is actually the better fighter. He didn't have a good night that night. I think he's going to come, come in there more relaxed, more focused, and more knowledgeable about his competition. I think he's going to pretty much wipe, wipe away, whether it be either knockout or decision, I see Jamel Charlo winning this fight convincingly. So boxing had his chance to give him his first loss, and they didn't take it. I think Jamel Charlo gets gets the win tomorrow, and I don't think he's going to be any doubt about it. I think Jamal Charlo wins then that fight. As much as I like Castano, I just don't think he's going to be able to have a very, very like an outstanding night twice against Charlo. So I think Jamel Charlo wins that fight, and. One thing that I did want to, to mention to boxing fans is definitely try to support the boxers that are out there as best you can. You know, I feel as if Canelo, what I was mentioned earlier, didn't deserve a lot of the criticism. When you're trying to be great at something, sometimes you got to take a risk, see how, how you do. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least you gave it a try and you see how it works out. Nothing beats a failure but a try. Right, Aaron? No, that's 100% right there. And you're absolutely right. You, 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 you miss out or you lose 100% of the ones you don't uh, take the chance on or take the, the risk on. So, um, absolutely, that's, that's a very good point. Thank you. Yeah, see, I mean, that's the thing in life. Like, you, you miss 1,000%. There's a lot of boxers that had great opportunities to fight someone. They were a little fearful that they may have risked their record. They didn't take the fight. And then lo and behold, they realized that maybe they could have won and could have gotten the fame, the fortune, the respect by winning the fight. And they had second doubts. That example is you can look at at the, the Spence fight versus Pacquiao. Spence didn't fight Pacquiao, 
and Crawford didn't fight Pacquiao when they had an opportunity. When Pacquiao started to get a little bit of up there in age, they both passed on the opportunity, and they both ended up regretting it because the guy who did take the opportunity did win, and he got the belt, and he got all the clout, and he got the payday. So you can't fear success in life. You got to go ahead and do what you got to do. And if the haters want to hate, they hate. But at least you tried to be great. I, I got nothing but respect for Canelo. He tried to go ahead and and be great. It didn't work out. But at least he he knows now. Hey, he wouldn't have known until he tried. So nothing beats a favor to try. And also, definitely, we have to give props to Chef G's barbecue sauce. He's the G's barbecue sauce it's so addictive that you may need a support group so make sure you support chef g get yourself a bottle of the barbecue sauce speaking of barbecue sauce definitely have yourself a great weekend this weekend what's some great barbecue sauce what are your thoughts on anything else aaron oh great show tonight obviously thank you for uh for uh having uh, Chucky Wright on here. We absolutely love having him on the program. Of course, our good buddy Lou. And as you mentioned there before, our great sponsor, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, as you were saying there, it is so delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. So we love having uh, him as our sponsor, and we definitely appreciate everything that he has done for us over the last several months and look forward to the continued partnership moving forward. So um, I know you and I are going to be playing some golf here tomorrow. We'll have to tell everybody how that goes uh, in our show next week. Um, hopefully it's a, it's a good match. It's been a year since we played, so looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, but I'm looking forward to it too. I'm looking forward to some fun and some golfing and having a great time with my co-host, Aaron. Make sh- and definitely thank you to Lou, our regular call, and Chucky Wright, a great interview. Man, I mean, that's Chucky Wright. And make sure you guys don't forget to subscribe to him and follow him on Instagram. I I did follow him on Instagram. He did follow me back. That's really cool. Thank you so much for that. So Super Chuck CW, for those who don't know. And then also, it's uh, Chucky Wright on YouTube. Make sure you do that. And Facebook is just Chucky Wright. So support him. He's gonna He's got a lot of great videos coming up. And if you... <laughs> Are in the market for a private jet? Definitely look them up too. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, great show tonight. Uh, thank you for uh, for again joining us here. If you missed any part of our program here this evening, it is available on iHeartRadio uh, for replay, and of course that's any of our shows uh, from the past. So, thank you again this evening uh, to our guests, and everybody have a great evening. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron's Full Stop Podcast. <laughs> Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. <laughs>